Hi, my name is Elizabeth Y, and I'm here to talk about a basic approach to interstitial lung disease. The goal of the next few talks will be to understand some basic thoracic imaging anatomy and terminology, um, and to provide information for a clinician that's useful when encountering a request on a a CT form for um, evaluation of interstitial lung disease, and then finally to understand some of the basic differences between some of the more important chronic fibrosing interstitial lung processes. It's important when understanding that with interstitial lung disease, it refers to a broad range of conditions that have a common clinical, physiologic, and radiologic features. However, they all involve abnormalities within the respiratory interstitium, which is a potential space between the respiratory epithelium and the capillary endothelium. It does not necessarily mean that they share a common histopathologic and physiopathologic basis. When we break this down into the idiopathic interstitial pneumonias, um, subsetted as IIPs, this is a subset of the interstitial lung diseases that's a heterogeneous group of diffuse lung diseases without a known cause. And it's usually associated with differing degrees of inflammation and fibrosis within the respiratory epithelium. This is where we get the terminology IPF, NSIP, cryptogenic organizing pneumonias, acute interstitial pneumonias, desquamive interstitial pneumonia, and respiratory bronchiolitis. So it's important as a radiologist that we are describing the histologic patterns and not the clinical diagnosis, which is really made by the clinician. So we should aim when we read a CT of the chest to describe what pattern histologically um, the radiologic findings look like. So as for the terminology on the left, um, we should really be saying that things look like usual interstitial pneumonia and not assign somebody with the clinical diagnosis of, for example, IPF or idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So first, we're just going to go over some really basic interstitial lung um, terminology to better understand how to describe CTs. First, it's important to understand that when we talk about the interstitium of the lungs, there's actually three components of the interstitium. Um, the first component is the interstitium that lies along the bronchovascular um, portion of the lung, and it's known as the axial interstitium. And this is the interstitium that supports the bronchi, the arteries, and the central veins as they extend from the hilum all the way down to the respiratory bronchial. And it's seen on the image on the right, we see where the artery and the bronchial airway is. We see that the axial interstitium is the interstitium that sits along there. Also in this picture, we see the subpleural or connective tissue interstitium, which is contiguous with the inner lobular septa. And that's where we see the interstitium that lies along the venous aspects um, of the interstitium. And then we talk about the parenchymal or acinar interstitium, which is the interstitium that we see on a microscopic level, which is the space that's situated between the actual respiratory epithelium and the capillary endothelium near the capillary basement membranes. So this space within there that has um, all sorts of proteoglycans and different lymphatic um, cells that provide um, support for the tissues at a microscopic level. So it's important to understand when we talk about interstitial lung disease, we have changes at all three levels. Next, we'll talk about the interlobular septum, which is part of what we talk about when we reference the secondary pulmonary lobule, um, which in the superior parts of the lung have a more hexagonal um, appearance and look more uniform. But as you go more centrally towards the lung, the secondary pulmonary lobules become less, less 
regular. It's along the periphery of these secondary pulmonary lobules that you have your venous and lymphatic channels that can swell or become fibrotic, and they become thickened on a radiograph. And that's what we're seeing on the left. This is just an example of pulmonary edema where we have nice thickening of the inner lobular septum in the lung apex. The next thing we talk about is the intralobular lines, which are small, fine lines that are inside the secondary pulmonary lobules. And so on the image on the right, we see that there's what looks like a fine reticular pattern almost on the medial aspect of the lung base. Um, and when they're numerous, we call this a reticular pattern. And in reality, this is just thickening of the intralobular lines. When we refer to crazy paving, a common um, radiographic finding um, with certain entities. Um, this is a combination of both thickened intra and interlobular septa. So as we can see on the image on the right, we can see that there are thickened hexagonal appearing structures which are parts of the secondary pulmonary lobules, but within it we can see smaller lines faintly among the ground glass, which is what's reflecting the interlobular septa, and it's part of the crazy paving pattern. This pattern was originally described with alveolar proteinosis when it's diffuse in the lungs. However, we've now determined that a crazy paving pattern can actually be seen with many different processes. A reticular pattern, when we use that terminology, it was first described on chest uh, radiograph. And when we saw it, it was kind of this diffuse, small, linear opacities that kind of produced a net-like appearance. We've translated that definition onto CT, and it now can represent, when we look at it on a CT scan, these small, thin lines. We usually see them in the periphery, but in reality, they can either represent interlobular septa, interlobular lines, or cystic walls. A cyst, by definition, is any round circumscribed space that is surrounded by an epithelial or fibrous wall. Um, typically, thin wall cysts have walls that are less than two millimeters in size, and they normally contain air but can be super infected or have fluid or solid material with them. This is just a nice example of LIP but we see these small thin wall cysts within the lungs. So a cyst is just a clear space with a thin um, wall around it when we're speaking about interstitial lung disease. Traction bronchiectasis and bronchiolectasis is just irregularity within the bronchial and bronchiolar um, portions of the airways. And we call it traction when it's related to underlying fibrosis, usually related to fibrin or fibroblast deposition along the airways that eventually contract and cause the airways to rip and pull apart, which is why we see um, a very tortuous, um, serpiginous, um, irregular appearing wall. Once we see it extend out to the periphery as we do in the basilar portion of the right lower lobe on this image, we can start calling it bronchioles, the more distal airways. And finally, I just want to um, discuss uh, honeycombing. The actual definition of honeycombing has changed over the last 30 years in the literature. Now, um, the definition we use is a clustered cystic airspace is typically of comparable diameter, um, but occasionally, they usually range somewhere between 3 and 10 millimeters, but can um, range all the way up to 2.5 centimeters in size. They're usually subplural, and they're defined by very well-defined walls. So, when we talk about honeycombing, the real important thing to notice is that it's usually cystic air spaces that share walls and 
abut the peripheral part of the lungs. We most commonly, with interstitial lung disease, see it in the lung bases. But it's important to realize that what we see macroscopically on a radiograph is not the same thing as microscopic honeycombing that is described on a pathology report. So this is just a beautiful a picture of honeycombing within the lungs. We see nice thin wall cystic structures that are stacked on top of one another. And as I said, the definition has changed over the year, but it's a very important feature when we begin to discuss um, UIP. It's a very defining feature in UIP. Very occasionally can be seen with NSIP and DIP type pictures. And again, it's that subplural um, and post, it's most commonly seen in the subplural and posterior bases, particularly when we talk about the entity IPF. Um, what's important to realize is what we see, what appears cystic in the periphery of the lungs, isn't always actual true honeycombing. And this was just a beautiful example of sometimes when you have someone who has emphysema that sits peripherally in the lungs, as we see on the image on the left, when someone has a superimposed um, acute decompensation of their heart failure, for example, or superimposed infection, sometimes the wall around the emphysematous spaces can begin to become more defined on uh, CT. And you can artificially get the look of a cyst on top of a cyst, um, as shown in the picture on the right. But in reality, this is just an exacerbation of heart failure on top of emphysema. So sometimes distinguishing true honeycombing from other etiologies can be quite difficult. It's important to realize that when we speak about what honeycombing is, honeycombing really defines the end stage part of disease. But you don't go from normal lung parenchyma to the end stage part of a disease. There's usually a progression um, that leads to an area of honeycombing. So there's been some description in the literature that Typically, we start off with an area of peripheral ground glass, maybe a little bit of subtle um, reticulation within a secondary pulmonary lobule. Over time, we get a decrease in the amount of ground glass peripherally, and you begin to see more reticulation within the lungs and areas of bronchiolectasis and bronchiectasis, and then it ends up turning into honeycombing at that point. And from that honeycombing, you can have smaller cysts that then become larger over time. But we're talking about a process that takes a progression of years um, to actually ensue. So when you see honeycombing, that usually means we're at the end stage part of a fibrotic process. So now quickly we're going to go over, start talking about the interstitial pneumonias. Um, when we talk about the idiopathic interstitial pneumonias, they're all characterized by alveolar involvement and usually involve the surrounding airways. Fibrosis or cell deposition is usually seen at the level of the alveolar space. With all of the interstitial lung diseases, it usually refers to something that has a restrictive lung physiology, which by definition usually means that there is decreased lung volumes as the lung cannot normally expand, which gives you that restrictive physiology. Typically, the idiopathic pathologies can either be subacute or chronic and can progress anywhere from the course of weeks to the course of years. But it's very important to understand that interstitial lung diseases, although they involve the interstitium, they are not confined to the interstitium and they almost always start at the level of the airspace. So again, back to the original slide, um, as a radiologist, we should aim to look at the histologic pattern and describe what we believe we'll see on histology and not assign that idiopathic diagnosis. 
So in 2012, there have been a few revisions of this classification. There is reclassification of how we look at interstitial lung diseases, and we've broken it down into chronic fibrosing interstitial lung diseases, which is the big players that we always commonly think about, which is um, the clinical diagnosis of IPF. The fibrosing forms are UIP and NSIP, and that's where we as radiologists can really make a difference in helping um, diagnose the disease so that patient can receive better treatment. The second um, classification we talk about are the smoking-related interstitial pneumonias, which encompass respiratory bronchiolitis and desquamative interstitial pneumonia. Um, and then the acute and subacute processes, which are your organizing pneumonias and your diffuse alveolar damage. Um, and then there are a few rare entities. Um, we speak of LIP. Um, that's been known for years, but recently in the literature we have described and have seen a few cases of a new entity, pleuroparenchymal fibroelastosis, which has creeped onto the interstitial um, lung disease categories. When we're looking at interstitial lung disease, when you have an idiopathic form of disease, um, just so you know, in, in the frequency that you'll see on a request, usually most of what you will see on someone who has no known diagnosis of interstitial lung disease, about 40% of them will end up with a UIP-type pattern. But other, um, when you break it down, NSIP will be about 20%. Your smoking-related um, interstitial lung diseases will comprise about 20% of the um, of the population on your idiopathic forms. Then your organizing pneumonias are about 10%. Your diffuse alveolar damage or um, the disease process we know as AIP is about 10%. And then your LIP and PPFE, which is your pleuroparenchymal uh, fibroelastosis are very rare and not commonly seen. Unfortunately, one of the very difficult things for radiologists is when we're not able to give an exact diagnosis on a CT. And one of the very frustrating things about interstitial lung disease and what probably scares a lot of um, radiologists away from wanting to read the studies is that there is a lot of overlap between the histologic look of the disease and what we see on chest CT. So it's important to understand that UIP and NSAP can have a lot of overlapping features histologically, which means that they can also have overlapping features when we look at it on a radiograph. So taking this whole concept into um, consideration, it's important that when we describe a CT that we talk about different sorts of features that would lead your diagnosis towards or away each of these features. But just understand that there is a lot of overlap, which makes it a very frustrating um, disease to diagnose on CT. So thanks for listening to the first part where we described a little bit of the terminology and features that we're going to be describing with interstitial lung disease. Um, and next week we'll come back and we'll start actually talking about some of the different um, fibrosing interstitial lung diseases and start off with usual interstitial pneumonia. Thank you. <laughs>